Hey everyone, welcome back to episode two of season two of the Dropping Paradigms podcast, where we give you life lessons on leadership, culture, and relationships using movies, TV, sports, and pop culture. My name is Heath Hunter, and I'm one of your co-hosts, and I am joined by the other co-host. What's up, guys? Welcome back. I'm Tori Donato. Happy to be here. Uh, Looking forward to talking about this movie. Looking forward to giving my opinion on whether or not this movie is actually a Christmas movie, which is (laughs) hotly debated, but uh, I'm here to set the record straight. Yes, uh, and for those of you that listened on season one, we are going back now. We already we just dropped our Valentine's Day episode, but we are going back and covering Die Hard like we promised a true Christmas movie. So bringing you a little <laughs> bit of Christmas in February. Are you laughing because you don't think it's a Christmas movie? Because it's let me absolutely read, not a Christmas movie. Let me read this to you right now. IMDb. An NYPD officer tries to save his wife and several others taken hostage by German terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. Okay, just because the movie is set in a Christmas party and, you know, they, they have these Christmas themes throughout and, you know, all that sort of stuff does not make it a Christmas movie. I've got a couple of reasons why. Reason number one, it was released in the summer. Reason number one. So if, if we want to call it a Christmas movie, it's got to at least be released during Christmas season. That's, that's Tori's n- argument number one. Number two, Lethal Weapon the year before was also set in a Christmas theme and nobody calls Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie. Uh, I do now. No, yeah. See, but before that, nobody did, and no, nobody does. You're you're like one one of a billion that calls Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie now. First of all, I don't even know that I've actually ever seen Lethal Weapon. You haven't seen Lethal Weapon? I I don't believe I have. Okay, so that's why I didn't call it a Christmas movie because I never seen it. <laughs> so I didn't know it took place during Christmas. Thirdly. This movie doesn't have anything to do with like Christmas things. Like you, when you think about Christmas movies, you think about Jingle All the Way, like what we did. You think about like the Santa Claus with Tim Allen. You think about Die Hard. You never think about Die Hard, but you maybe think about Die Hard as a as one of the best action movies, arguably of all time. I'll give you that. I mean, some would say it's the best action movie that takes place during Christmas. I'll even say that it could be the best action movie that takes place during Christmas, <laughs> not being a Christmas movie. <laughs> All right. I don't, I don't know where we're going to get to the bottom of that because I believe it's a Christmas movie. You don't, and you're wrong, but whatever. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd like to hear what I'd like to see what our listeners think. Um, I'm sure probably most of them are going to choose wrong and say it's a Christmas movie, but that's okay. I bet there's actually more people in your camp. I honestly do. But we'll see. But before we go too far, let's go two for two on season two. Do your two word check in. How are you feeling? Man, I am feeling uh, I'm feeling tired. Like it's been cold here in, uh, you know, good old Alabama, which that's relative. Right. I, I'm, I know there's people in, in uh, a lot colder places. 
but uh, you know, for for Alabama standard, it's it's uh, been a little bit cold, and then like the very next day, it's been hot. So the weather has just been kind of messing with my allergies. I've been like sneezing all the time. Promise, I don't have COVID, but I, I am sneezing a lot. Um, <laughs> don't worry, we're doing this over Zoom. So last I checked, you can't actually spread COVID over Zoom. Or if you're listening to this podcast, don't worry about him not whether or not he has COVID because. You also can't get COVID from a podcast. Also true. And uh, let's see my second word. Um, my second word is uh, hungry. Uh, I've, I've yet to have dinner, but beginning of this year, the wife and I decided that we were going to do this. Uh, you know, we didn't call it a diet. We called it a lifestyle change. Part of the lifestyle change is intermittent fasting. Uh, so we're doing the eight hours on 16 hours where, where you fast. And so I just find myself hungry all the time because <laughs> I like to eat. <laughs> uh, so I'm hungry, man. What are your two words? Uh, jet lagged. Uh, I just took a, or I just got back from a trip to Hawaii. And uh, you know, a lot of people say we haven't invented time travel, but I think when we invented airplanes, we invented time travel because that five hour difference from East coast to Hawaii right now definitely felt like I time traveled. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Uh, and then I would say excited. I got some uh, fairly good uh, promotion news today, in my job. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Sweet money, man. Well, congrats on that news. Um, well-deserved. Uh, happy for you, brother. Appreciate it. All right. So got the IMDb out of the way. Uh, any guesses out of 10 where this movie ranks? Because you did call it potentially one of the greatest action movies of all time. Yes, I did. And so with that statement, I'm going to say it ranks IMDb. I'm going to give it like a 8.8 out of 10. Real close. 7.8 out of 10. 7.8. Okay. It's not bad. Yeah. And then uh, here's Rotten Tomatoes uh, summary. New York City policeman John McClane, Bruce Willis, is visiting his estranged wife, Bonnie Bedelia, and two daughters on, here it is again, Christmas Eve. <laughs> he joins her at a holiday party in the headquarters of the Japanese-owned business she works for. But the festivities are interrupted by a group of terrorists who take over the exclusive high rise and everyone in it. Very soon, McLean realizes that there's no one to save the hostages but him. I like that. That's it. That was good. Yeah. I don't think it gives away too much. It's pretty decent. Yeah. 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 That's 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 a definite like you hear that and you're like, okay. I can watch that because I, I, I know what's going to happen, but I don't know exactly what happens. Yeah. What do you think the, uh, score, the percentage score was out of 100 for the tomato meter and audience score? They're both the same, by the way. Ooh. Um, it's not normal, but. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with something high because I, I do think that it's, it is one of the, one of the best um, you know, action movies of all time. Uh, so I'm going to say the tomato score was, I'm saying the nineties, let's call it like 
91. Too low. 94. 94. Dang. Yeah, real good. I mean, we're I'm talking. Getting, I'm getting better at these. Yeah, we're, we're talking like getting up into the uh, Pixar percentages there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like legendary status right there. So I think, you know, maybe you're you're right with, uh, you know, one of the greatest of all time. Dude, uh, I got to I got to say this before we start. Um, Hans, you know, the the character played by Al, Alan Rickman. Hans I didn't realize Gruber. until. Yeah. Yeah. Hans Gruber. Uh, <laughs> it's just funny saying that name. <laughs> um, I didn't realize until I rewatched this movie that Hans was the and, you know, I'm, I'm going to show how much of a nerd I am here that Hans was in fact the infamous Severus Snape from the Harry Potter movies. I oh, did yeah. not know. I'm, I'm kind of a Harry Potter stan. Uh, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. Well, that makes one of us. So that's good. <laughs> I don't, I don't, okay. I don't, I don't dislike Harry Potter. I just have never, never really gotten into it. I'm assuming that I'll probably get into it as my daughter's uh, teacher is like a huge Harry Potter fan. So my daughter has been like constantly talking about it. So at some point I'm sure she's going to ask to read the books. Dude, Which have we... her read the books first and then watch the movies. Yeah. We'll do. Yeah. The books got me, man. Anyway, uh, I digress. Back to Die Hard. So Die Hard came out in 1988. Any, anything special happened in 1988 in your life? Uh yeah, I was born. Oh, I was born. There we go. Yeah, yeah. June June 29th in 1988. So I don't know the exact date that Die Hard came out, but uh I don't either. You I mean, you said it was the summer. I do know it was the summer. Uh so my guess is probably like July cuz that's when all the blockbuster movies come out. Well, it's a good thing we have the internet. You mean uh, July, our, our July 22nd, 1988. July 22nd. All right. So I was a whopping Almost a month old. Yeah. Did you, I mean, did you go see it in the theaters? Don't remember if I did. Probably <laughs> not. Probably not. <laughs> so, uh, yes, for all of you listening, we are, uh, you know, taking another 80s movie and going to break it down. But before we do that, just a couple fun uh, facts of 1988. The Morris computer worm was one of the first worms distributed via the Internet. I have no idea what that is. Like, neither do I, but I thought it was kind of cool that like a worm was distributed via the internet in 1988 for the first time. And I didn't at, even know the internet was around in 1988. Uh, you have to ask Al Gore when he actually invented it. I don't even wow. know. You've got the first night game at Wrigley Field played August 8th of 1988, which still baffles me that it took until 1988 for the Cubs to get lights. Wow. That's yeah, that's that's crazy. You have CDs outselling vinyl for the first time. Oh, CDs. It's a shame that some of our listeners probably don't even know what that is. <laughs> yes, or vinyl. Yeah, vinyl or records for some of you. Uh, you had uh, Pistol Pete Maravich, who died in 1988. But what was really interesting about his death was in a 1974 interview, he said, I don't want to play 10 years in the NBA and then die of a heart attack when I'm 40. Well, in 1988, he died of a heart attack at the age of 40 after a 10-year NBA career. That is freaky. Yes. And then 
uh, we had one of the uh, greatest uh, troll songs of all time was a number one hit from March 12th to March 20th. Yes, uh, for those of you uh, listening, you just got Rick rolled. But don't worry, <laughs> we're never going to give you up. We're never going to let you go. <laughs> the uh, World Series was won by the Dodgers. The Super Bowl was won by the former Washington Redskins. Oh, now the Washington Commanders. Yeah, how do you feel about that name? Um, I'm okay with it. I, I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty good name. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of the other Washington sports teams. You got the wizards. Uh, I don't know if they have a hockey team, so it doesn't the go Capitals. with any theme or, or the capital. So, you know, I, it's and the nationals and the nationals. So yeah, I, I I'm, I'm okay with, with, with the commanders. Yeah. I mean, now the wizards really look out of place, right? They do. Maybe they'll change your name. I mean, for a second time. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe they'll go back to the bullets. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know that they ever can after Gilbert Arenas <laughs> brought the gun. Yeah, uh, didn't yeah. He, like, didn't yeah, didn't it go like off accidentally in the locker room or something like that? I think it might have. Was it? I Gilbert? know there were several guns. Was it Gilbert Arenas? Was it was it Agent Zero? It was Agent Zero and uh, another player by the name of Javaris Crittenden. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, in good in good news, not not to get hung up on the bullets, <laughs> the U.S. space shuttle program resumed after two and a half years of you know stopping after the Challenger disaster. Nice. And in kind of a to tie things into you know what's going to happen or what happened recently we got the winter olympics and they were in calgary alberta canada and what was interesting about this you have a country for the first time being part of the winter olympics which went on to be the premise of a disney movie with the jamaican bobsled team aha uh-huh. who also entered a bobsled team this olympics I saw that. I saw that. Uh, I haven't been able to watch any of the Olympics so far, but uh, I, I need to catch up on that. Um, I watch a little bit of curling. I always like to, to catch that. Yeah. It's pretty entertaining. Do you, do you think that you could be an Olympic curler? That I could be? Yeah. Uh, I mean, sure, if I'd been doing it all my life. How about, what about the guys that, that, that just do the, the sweeping thing? Not like the, the actual dude who slides and lets it go, but I mean, dude, let me tell you about the amount of sweeping that I got to do growing up in high school working right? construction during the summer. Dude, same here. That's why I'm like, oh man, I could definitely like take that little broom and sweep some ice, man. But here here's the thing, right? Like everyone wants to say they could be an Olympic curler, but like those dudes are good. That's fair. They, they practice all the time. Like it's not you and I are not just going to go start a two man curling team and 
probably even score a single point the first couple times out. We're going to be throwing it past the little bullseye thing. I mean, I don't even know what the, that, I don't know what's the bullseye called. I know the, the there's called stones and like the yeah. last one he throws the hammer. Yeah. I have no idea what it's called either, but yeah, so you can be an Olympian. You don't even know what it's called. <laughs> but so this is what's always funny to me. Like think about like what they do when they're not in the Olympics. Like, how clean do you think their houses are? <laughs> how much swimming they do? <laughs> They're like all day, just like in their backyard, like you know, super sweeping their their like driveways and stuff to simulate. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, oh man! I I, I, if there are any Olympic curlers or even any curlers listening to this, I do not condone what Tori is saying here. I believe he is, you know, making fun of you guys. And I don't think that's right. I'm just going to say just a little bit. I am, but, but (laughs) (laughs) I have got the utmost respect for you guys as Olympians. And, and uh, I was, I was a hundred percent kidding. I know I can never be an Olympic curler or the other person who does the sweeping even with, you know, my years of tutelage with a, with a basic broom. Yes. But shout out to all the Olympians listening to our amazing podcast. Thank you very much for representing our country and, and, and listening. Yeah. And share it with your friends, like share it with your friends. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's get into the movie. Let's do it, man. But I, I'm going to ask you one question as we get started in the movie. So as John McClane arrives to the building and, you know, he sees his wife and she basically like tells him to go get settled in or whatever, or I guess as he was in the car, I think he was told like, Hey, when you get in, like, make sure you take your shoes off. Like, cause it really, you know, you get relaxes and it kind of like helps you get adjusted. Have you ever heard this and have you ever like, gotten to a hotel or gotten to where you're staying and just like immediately taking off your shoes and socks so that you can like center yourself to be never in a place have you ever heard it i've i've never heard it i've i've never done it like i mean i've been asked to take my shoes off when i go to people's houses um but never my socks like yeah I don't, i'm not sure how i would react if if i like walked into a friend's house and they were like hey take off your shoes and your socks please and center yourself here on the carpet um (laughs) yeah i've 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 never heard that have you no i that's why like i picked up on it and now just i don't know i guess i got zeroed in on it yeah so the other thing that 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 i'm gonna have to try though the next time i fly is uh what john mcclain's buddy was saying on the plane to like what do you say make make fists with your with with your feet when when you get to your room like take off your shoes and your socks same sort of deal and like try to like pinch the ground with your feet. Uh, yeah. That, that was the whole, that was the whole thing. Right. Like, cause it like centers you and like gets you. Yeah. Like I'm going to try that, but I, I've never heard that. That's, I don't know. Yeah. Me either. Whatever. And then the other thing I, before we, you know, get into our first time is I need to, we need to, you know, show some love to Reginald Bell Johnson. Yes. First of all, I mean, 
if there's ever a cop movie and you don't bring in Reginald Bell Johnson, you might as well not even make a cop movie. Agreed. Because, I mean, he was amazing in, in this movie. And, I mean, he was even better in Family Matters as Carl Winslow. Yeah. And I don't know the dates. Is Family Matters after this movie? Is, is that like oh, how yeah. he got? Okay. I mean, I don't know that I don't know that's how he got it, but it's definitely after and continues after. Yeah. No, he 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 did awesome. Like I, I really like his role in the movie. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed, just just a, one more random thing before we get into these dimes, is like Samuel Samuel L. Jackson. Like, I don't know what, what the span was, but it seemed like in the in the 80s maybe into the late 90s there was like so few movies that he wasn't in <laughs> like he he he's been in so many movies it's ridiculous yeah i mean it's how he became like what the one of the highest paid and i think for a long time he was like the highest paid actor of all time i didn't even know that yeah but that doesn't surprise me with i mean it's like he's he's in everything. Like it's, exactly. it's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm sure The Rock will probably bypass him now that he's been in legitimately everything. Yeah, I mean everything. Whole another whole another subject though. Um, all right, man. Let's let's get into these dimes. Okay, you uh, let's hear your first one. Yeah, man. Uh, so so my first one. Um, so what I, what I, what I did. You know, for for our listeners, is um, you know, prior to prior to this episode, I, I looked up, you know, because one one of the cool things about Die Hard is there's like so many like memorable quotes in that movie, so many one liners, um, you know, and so I decided to take my dimes from a few of the one liners in the movie. So the first the first one liner is now I have a machine gun, ho ho ho, and so uh, for those of you that haven't seen the movie uh, spoiler, spoiler alert for those of you that haven't seen it in a while this is when you know john mcclain uh kills the the first terrorist and throws him in the, throws him in the elevator and, and sends him down to where hans and his henchmen are holding all the hostages and you know hans is going on this big spiel about how you know he wanted this to be you know very you know professional and you know organized and uh I forget the the guy's name that he kills, but he's like, he didn't see it that way. And so he won't be joining us for the rest of his life, which is sort of funny. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. I kind of laughed when he said it during the movie. Um, but then, you know, the, the elevator opens and, you know, you, you see the guy dead and, you know, the one, one of the most famous, famous sort of quotes, you know, now, now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. And so the dime here, you know, is, when you put people on notice, on notice, it comes with a cost. And what I mean by that is effectively when, when Bruce Willis sends, um, you know, this dead terrorist down, downstairs in the elevator, he puts Hans and the rest of his henchmen on notice that, oh, they actually haven't, you know, gotten everybody that's in the building and, and taken them hostage. And this guy has actually taken out one of his men which means he is likely now coming for you and the rest of your henchmen. And so uh, he's, he's put them on notice for, for all intents and purposes. And so uh, 
the 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 dime there is it comes with a cost. So in the movie, the 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 cost of John putting these people on notice is twofold. You know, now the hostages know that there's somebody else in the building who is who is fighting for them, who's on their side. So they immediately start start to pull for him and cheer for him uh, and get behind him and basically know that their their lives are potentially in John's hands. And then on the flip side, now that John has basically outed himself to everybody else in the building, Hans and his henchmen are now looking for him to take him out. So what does that mean for, for, for us, you know, that are outside of the diehard um, world? Sort of the same thing, you know, when, when we put people on notice, um, however that might may be, whether it's, you know, via a, a social media post at the beginning of the year or at any point in the year that says, hey, you know, this is, I've drawn a line in the sand. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm going to do. Um, this is what I'm not going to tolerate. This is, you know, this is where I'm headed with my life and all that sort of stuff. Or maybe you do it publicly uh, at, at your, at your job or with some family members. Maybe you just do it privately to, to your, your, in, your inner circle, you know, your spouse or your, your significant other or your very close friends. Um, whenever you put somebody on notice that comes with a cost and it's the same cost that John McClain had. You know, on the one side, you will have people who will cheer you on, who will do whatever it is they can to support you and to help you reach um, that success, you know, that you want to reach, you know, what help you continue to walk further from that line in the sand that you're drawn, like cross it and continue to walk forward. Um, and those, and, and some of those people may even... Um, count on you reaching that goal like particularly if if you've like put your family on notice that you know this year we're going to be debt free or this year i'm i'm going to go out and get x job or i'm going to make this amount of money or you know things are going to be different for us for example um people might actually depend on you you know their their livelihood might depend on what you just told them by, by putting them on notice to, to what you're about. And then on the flip side, you've got people who once they are put on notice by you are going to be doing and saying anything and everything that they can to bring about your downfall. You know, that's the trolls on the internet. That is, you know, the, the people at your organization who don't believe in your vision or your capabilities or, you know, your intent for said project. Um, it could even be family members or friends who, you know, just tell you this entrepreneur thing is, is, is not for you. You know, you need to go and get a real nine to five job. Um, you can't go and be a social media influencer or make YouTube videos for a living. Like you need to actually go, go like work until you're 65. And then, retire and work some more just to live. And then you die. Um, there, there may be people like that. In fact, I, I guarantee for anybody who draws any sort of line in the sand and puts anybody else on notice that they are making a change in their life, those people absolutely will exist. Um, and they may not show themselves 
you know, at the, at the start of you kind of drawing that, that line in the sand and putting people on notice. But as you continue to progress um, further from that line and, and continue to get closer to your goal, there will be more detractors and hopefully more, more supporters as well. But that's, that's, that's the dime that, uh, you know, I, I want people to take away uh, from, from, from that quote, because, you know, John McClain put those guys on notice and he actually had to follow through, uh, you know, at that point and save the day because if he didn't, those, those people died. Yeah. That's good. I, you know, I think so often we're willing to say things and not follow through. And I think it's, it's, you know, always good to remember that when you say something, there are other people that are listening and that are potentially depending on you or what you said. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the, one of the unique things about what John did is he doesn't ask anybody to hold him accountable because, you know, when, when we do things today, we, we may say something or, you know, declare that we're going to be different, that we're going to change whatever the case is. And some people may hold us accountable to that. We may even ask to be held accountable to those things, but John just holds himself accountable. Yeah. His this word, is what his I said I'm going to do. Yeah. So I think that's, that, that's pretty interesting. Um, especially like, you know, we're, we're still pretty early into the year, you know, a lot of people do New Year's resolutions and 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 all that sort of stuff. Some people say them out loud. Some people don't. Um, but we we all, I think the 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 New Year sort of serves as like a default reset button, and we all kind of put ourselves or put other people on notice during the New Year. Uh, and, and it's it's always kind of interesting to see the cost that we're willing to pay when we do, you know, put people on notice. Or put ourselves on this. I like it. Sweet man, what's your what's your uh, what's your first dime? So, I think one of the kind of it kind of falls in line a little bit with your, you know, putting people on notice or you know holding yourself kind of a, accountable or or being ready for, you know whatever comes up and there's this idea of, you know, you can plan ahead, you can do contingency planning, you can, you know, have all these grand plans, but until, you know, something happens, you don't know how people are going to react. And, and so like what you were saying of, you know, putting people on notice, sometimes when you put people on notice, no matter how much they've planned or how, you know, good that they think they are, you see them fail. And you saw that in this movie with Hans, Hans Gruber and his team. And you even alluded to it, right. Of him kind of talking about, you know, how he had this team and what they were going to do. And now you see John McClane basically just like run through his entire team. And, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, how people train, how people, um, you know, kind of get ready for one of the, for the expectations that others hold on them. 
And so there's a famous like Jocko Willink quote, and I, I don't necessarily know that he was the first one to say it, but he's at least the one that says it, you know, now on a regular basis. And it's, you know, we don't rise to occasion when under pressure, we sink to the level of training. And I think he actually attributed it to, you know, probably, you know, at, at um, Navy SEAL buds, you know, they kind of, they learn that and have that as their motto, but you see it with Hans's team. And then you see it with Hans, like throughout, even though uh, McLean put him on notice, Hans very much kept his cool. You know, he kind of went along with things, you know, he was sending his people out, but he was very, very calm. And then you also see that with Holly Gennaro, who is McLean's ex-wife. After her boss gets killed, she has to kind of step up and take a leadership role. And you, you see her very calmly, you know, go into Hans and start negotiating essentially with him. Yeah. And, and she gets, you know, uh, the, a pregnant lady at couch gets a bathroom break and she starts to kind of, um, build, a build rapport and relationship as she starts to, you know, kind of, um, work with Hans. And then on top of that, you see that in McLean where, you know, he didn't think that, he was going to be, you know, fighting terrorists. I mean, he didn't even have shoes on because he followed his buddy's advice to go, you know, grip the carpet. So you, you see this movie and this idea of, you know, people either sinking under pressure or, you know, understanding that they are trained for this situation or they, um, you know, even if they're not trained, like, they have to kind of get to a point where they can take charge and take control, which is, I think, you know, is something that we can all, you know, kind of take away, you know, if, say you've got a presentation coming up, right. You're going to do everything you can to make sure that presentation, you've got all your slides ready. You've got your, ba- your computer batteries charged. You're going to bring, you know, your, your cord to be able to plug it in. You're going to make sure like you have a backup copy on, you know, a thumb drive or whatever, but you know, that none of it may work. Now, what do you do? Well, if you put in the time, you put in the effort, you're going to sink to that level of training and you're going to go knock out the presentation because you already know what's in it, whether or not you can see the slides. Yeah. Cause not all of us are in, you know, life and death situations like we, you know, see in the movie. But I think it's important to remember, like, take your time, train for the things that you want to be good at. And when you do, and when the time comes, understand that that training is what's going to get you through. Yeah, for sure, man. You know, I I think that it's, it highlights like how important preparation is, you know, I know a lot of times in sports, uh, you know, coaches or players will say like, I, I practiced so hard that the game was easy. Yeah. And like, that's, I think that's, that's unique because a lot of us, myself included, we don't practice that hard. 
Um, and it could be for a number of reasons, you know, life happens for all of us. You know, we, we, we've all got challenges and, and different things that we go through in different seasons of life and all that sort of stuff. Um, but for, for, for those of us who, who have jobs or just have kind of a daily routine or just think things that we're working toward, we know that there's preparation involved for, you know, the things that we want to do or, or the, the tasks that, that lie ahead of us. But it's interesting to think about how our preparation looks sort of based off of what the task is. Like, I will prepare, you know, much more rigorously to record this podcast with you than I will right now to take an online class. Yeah. Especially if I can like take, take a quiz in unlimited amount of times, I'll just like skip the reading and just try my hand at, at multiple choice questions. Um, and, and it's, it's, it would be interesting because, you know, to, to your point and to that Jocko Willink quote for that online test, like if I were to be thrown into a room with the rest of my online classmates and be asked to, to talk about the material that I'm supposed to be taking this, this quiz on, I would be so ill-equipped to do that because my preparation wasn't there. Yeah. And, and, there, and this is a class that you're paying for that you're supposed yeah. to be getting something out of. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, did the same thing. It's, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's almost like dumbfounding when, when, when you look at it, because there's so many different areas of, of our lives where we all just, we just don't prepare. And then when the moment gets there or the moment arrives and we're not ready for it because when we sink to the level of our preparation or our training, the level of training or preparation is so low that we can't rise to the moment. Yeah. Uh, and then we're like, why didn't it work out? You know? <laughs> yeah. When some, when someone calls you out, right. When someone yeah. puts you on notice and yeah, you're like, uh, that's cool. You put me on notice, man, but I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, no, dude, that's a, that, that's a gem right there. That that's a gem. That's, that's got me thinking right now about, you know, just my, my preparation from, from day to day, just like, just even like the, the little things, like if I'm trying to work out in the morning, if I don't, if I don't like set my stuff aside, you know, next, next to the bed or even go to sleep with it on, like (laughs) I will be much less likely inclined, especially when it's cold, you know, this Alabama weather, it's, it's 44 in the morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> especially when it's cold, you know, I'm, I'm much less likely to get outside and run, uh, you know, if I don't have all my stuff set out to where I have to make a conscious decision to like pass by it on my way to the bathroom or whatever the case is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, this, this, this one really has me, you know, reflecting on, on, how I prepare from, from day to day. That's a good one, man. Uh, okay. So, so so sort of taking the next step with that, um, is, is my next time. And and it, it centers around Hans Gruber and, uh, John McLean. 
And it's interesting because, you know, you, you said that Hans kind of stays calm throughout. Um, I actually have, have a different view on that. And it's, it's in the iconic moment where, you know, Hans and John uh, speak for the first time, you know, Hans is picking up the radio. He's like, I thought I told you guys radio silence. Blah, blah. And it's John on the other line. And Hans is immediately surprised. He's surprised that John knows his name. He's surprised that John knows the names of some of his henchmen. Uh, and, you know, even, even the henchmen in the, in the background are surprised, you know, uh, one of the henchmen says like, how does he know all this stuff? And Hans is like, shut up. Don't say it. be quiet. And then he, he responds to John and he's like, Oh, you know, you, you're awful. You know, you've, you, you've been really tough for a security guard, you know, fishing for this information. And, and then John's like, eh, not a security guard. Nice try. You want to go for double jeopardy where, where, you know, the odds can really change or, you know, paraphrasing. Uh, and then as Hans is trying to continue, continuing to try to pull this information, um, there's a, there's a moment in, in that exchange. And I, I can't remember exactly what John says, but like the look on Hans face is like, he's almost visibly shaken. He's like, what the, who is this guy? Uh, and you know, the, the interaction ends with, with Han saying, you know, you, you, you think you stand a chance against us, cowboy. And of course, you know, John replies with the, with the infamous line, give me Kaye, mother effer. And, you know, the rest is kind of history from there. Thanks for and, keeping us out of the explicit uh, section for that, with that too. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, but to me, that, that just kind of, that interaction represented a, a complete shift in, in the movie, you know, a, a shift from, you know, Hans's, you know, quiet confidence about his and his henchman's ability to, 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 to get this job done to now I am actually doubting whether or not we can do this. And now it's John who is feeling maybe much more confident about his ability to get the job done. And so my dime is, uh, a question followed by a proposed uh, formula. So the question is, how do you shift momentum in, in your favor? What are your thoughts? How do I shift momentum in my favor? Well, I think one, you've got to take control of the situation. Okay. Uh, and I think it depends on the situation of, you know, how you take control, you know, whether it's like, you know, taking the radio or, you know, telling people what to do, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then I think the, the other thing, so I, like I'm to give you some kind of idea in my thought process, when you say momentum, like I'm, I'm immediately like finding myself in, in Hilton Coliseum. Uh, you know, watching the, the cyclones. Yeah. Like how you get that momentum shift. And, and one, I think is like, it, you got to calm down, right? Like a lot of times when momentum starts to change, it's when one team seems to, you know, get some turnovers or make the other team, you know, make some bad plays. 
And generally speaking, it's because they're rushing. It makes me think okay. of the, the John Wooden quote of, you know, go fast, but don't rush. Yeah. So it's like, it's that slowing down, calming, you know, and, and taking the situation in so that you can then attack, which will then change the momentum. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, so I've got a formula that, that I think, you know, equates to, to a shift in momentum. And here's the formula. Information plus initiative plus confidence plus ability plus persistence equals a momentum shift. And so those, those, those are in no, no particular order, but information plus initiative plus confidence plus ability plus persistence equals a momentum shift. So let's, let's, let's break this down here using you know, our, our uh, movie. So first thing, information. Well, we know that John's got information. You know, from the moment that he was in the elevator, you know, tallying people's names on his arm, uh, you know, to every interaction that he has with with Hans and his henchmen after that. You know, he is gathering information. He's also getting information from uh, Reginald Valjohnson's Val- Val- uh, character. I forget his name. Sergeant Powell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, he's also getting in information from Sergeant Powell. So he's gotten information. Um Obviously, he's got initiative. You know, he was sort of in the wrong place at the right time. You know, he wasn't there. He, you know, he, he was there to try to, you know, patch things up with his with with his wife, you know, doing his best to, to kind of salvage the relationship with his wife and his daughters. Uh, and he didn't even really want to get involved. He was like, hey, the local police will will handle this. I'm just going to stay out of it. But they took too long. And so somebody's got to do something. I'm here. I can do it. Uh, he has, he has the ability, you know, as a, as a police officer, he, he's got some, some different and distinct training, you know, that some of the other folks in, in that, in that building don't have. Would you call them a unique set of skills? Ooh, they could be a unique set of skills <laughs> that he's honed over, over several years. <laughs> Hopefully some of our listeners know what that quote is, what movie that, that, that quote is from. If not, please, please go look it up and then go watch that movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. A unique set of skills. Uh, right. He's got persistence. You know, he's one guy with no shoes, no socks, you know, not really knowing at least at first, how many, how many people, how many bad guys are there, but, just one at a time, you know, however he can get it done, just getting it done, knocking them off one by one, which is, which is also giving them confidence. You know, there, there's a part in that interaction between him and Hans where Hans is like, who are you? And he's just like, ah, you know, I'm just a fly in the ointment. I'm a monkey in the ranch. I'm a pain in the, you know what, but, and, and that's, that's exactly what it is. Cause he's just persisting. Uh, and Hans is like, fine. Check everything. Find find this guy, and so that formula, you know, creates a momentum shift. So how do we take that from the movie and and try to apply it in our everyday lives? Well, um, I think it starts with information. Uh, you, I said these are maybe in no particular order, but but I I think it starts with with information. Um, you've got to have information on where where the momentum is right now. Uh, 
you know, who's maybe creating that momentum, what the, what the end goal of, of, you know, the person creating that momentum is, or, or the, the group of people, uh, then you've got to have, have some sort of initiative. Like, you know, a lot of times when there's, when momentum gets going, there's not, not a lot of people who are kind of willing to, to stand in front of it and, and stop it. It's, it's sort of like when, you know, LeBron James gets, gets going on a fast break. There's not many people who are, who are going to sit there and take a chart or they're going to get dunked on. Uh, yeah. I, just a side note. I'm not sure that I've ever seen anybody take a charge on, on LeBron James on a fast break. Anyway, besides the point, um, <laughs> got to have some initiative there. Uh, you got to have some, some, some ability. Now you don't have to be, you don't have to have the unique set of skills. Um, you don't have to be highly trained. Um, you, but you have to have, I'd say at least some ability to, to be able to affect some sort of change, you know, from a sports analogy, you've, you've got to have an ability to make, to, to make a tackle or to make a play on, on the field. Um, or to sweep you know, in front of that stone. Yeah. You got to have the ability to sweep in front of that stone. I mean, you've, you've, you, you've got to have the ability to, to do that brief. If you didn't have slides, um, then you got, you got to have, have some confidence, right? Got to have some confidence in yourself because, you know, you were potentially getting in front of a freight train and not knowing if anybody's going to, going to join you at first. And then you got to persist, like, you know, shifting momentum is, is, is not easy. It's not something that, that happens, you know, in the, in the blink of an eye, but it's just, you know, steady. It's, it's methodical. And before you know it, you know, the, the, the momentum has been shifted. I think of a lot of times, uh, especially with basketball, because there's such kind of a back and forth in those games. And, you know, people, people who, who play basketball know that basketball is a game of runs. You know, one team's going to go on a run, another team's going to go on a run. One team's going to go on a run, another team's going to go on a run. And, you know, sometimes when, when teams get up by like 20, 30 points, people will sometimes turn, turn the TV off and say, oh, this game's over. Like they're, they're, they're getting blown out. That's when I really start to watch the game. Because I, I like to see if the other team is is going to make it make it make an attempt to to shift the momentum, and that happens through you know one defensive stop and then one off offensive you know bucket, another defensive stop, another offensive bucket, and they just kind of put together these slow but steady runs that end up taking a 20, 30 point lead, you know heading into the fourth quarter down to nine points with three minutes left. And then all of a sudden it's a game again. And, and and so, uh, you know, when we think about the momentum of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, you know, just coming at us like a wave, uh, I would offer this, this formula, you know, information plus initiative plus confidence plus ability plus persistence to, to, uh, you know, be something that could be used to start to shift momentum. Yeah, dude, that's really good. And I think even, you know, beyond momentum is, I I think that's a good formula for culture changing as a whole. If, If you are somebody that's trying to change, you know, 
an entire organization's culture or, you know, the culture in, in which you're a part of that formula, I think would work as well. And I, and I like, I I mean, I've got to, I'm definitely gonna have to write that down and, you know, think about that and, you know, figure out even, you know, ways that I can continue to, you know, change the cultures that I'm part of with work and, and, you know, church and, and small group and, and some of those things so that, you know, maybe it's changing the momentum of it. Maybe it's, you know, changing the direction, but I think as a whole, I think it's like, while it's going to change the momentum initially, I think that's how you change things for the long term as well, especially with that, you know, the last one there with persistent peace. I think the persistence takes you past just that initial momentum change and allows you the change for, you know, the longer term. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's a great point, man. That's a great point. I I didn't even think about it like that, but um, you know, this is why we do this podcast. Yeah, Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to ponder that one a little bit more and, and see. Yeah. I like it. Sweet, man. So my last dime is, you know, our, we as people always tend to jump to conclusions. You know, like we can jump to conclusions of, you said you had an equation, I can jump to a conclusion of what that's going to be and, you know, miss all of the good points that you were bringing up and, you know, then not be able to tie it to, you know, culture change and and long-term change or, you know, in the movie, like you see uh, where John McClane gets a hold of a radio and is broadcasting on a radio frequency what's going on. Yeah. And he's immediately told like, hey, you need to be off this frequency. That's an FCC violation. Like where you're going to get in big trouble. We're going to, you know, come arrest you and, and all this. And you see, you know, he's talking to Sergeant Powell. Sergeant Powell is believing him because Powell's listening to things he's saying. And he's starting to, you know, he, he equates some of the things he says to the fact that the only reason he's saying these things is because he's a cop. He yeah. may not be a cop in the NYPD, but he's a cop somewhere because only cops know these things. But you see the deputy chief of police, Dwayne T. Robinson, jump in and he's like, no, this guy's not a cop. He's a fake. He needs to get off this, um, you know, off of this radio. He needs to let us do our thing. And then you see them bring in the, um, the vehicle that essentially mm-hmm. gets blown up by the rocket launcher. And, you know, ev- basically everything that happens because Dwayne T Robinson and the FCC folks are like jumping to these conclusions that surely McCain can't know what he's doing or McLean can't know what he's doing. And, you know, it made me think when I heard the FCC violation, it made me think of the, the, um, the stories that we've heard about nine one one operators and one in particular where a 911 operator got a call for a lady trying to order pizza. Okay. And this lady, like, you know, she, she calls the number and the 911 operators like, you know, 911, what's your emergency? And she's like, I'd like to order a pepperoni pizza. And the 911 operators like you did, this isn't a pizza place. This is 911. What is your emergency? She's like, no, I'd like to order a pepperoni pizza. 
and the 911 operator is like, this is 911. What's your emergency? She's like, oh, you need my address. And so she gives her address and the 911 operator is like, what are you do? Like, what are you doing? And then she kind of, she starts talking about the pizza again. And she's like, the nine, it clicks with the 911 operator. She's like, oh, are you in danger? And she's like, yes, let me get, give you my credit card number. And that's when she starts to understand like, mm. oh no, this person isn't pranking me. This person is calling because they're in danger. Yeah. And like, it, it, it's this idea of these people just needed to stop and listen like Powell did listen to McLean where he understood, Hey, only a cop would say these things. The 911 operator listening and understanding that this lady isn't pranking her. She's just very much in this idea of if I order this pizza, cops are going to come and take my boyfriend or husband away. That was beating me. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately what happens in, in that story with the 911 operator, the cops show up, take the guy away. And you know, the lady, um, essentially gets out of a very bad situation. So I think it's just, it, it's just a good reminder. Don't jump to conclusions and sometimes listening to the words that aren't said are as important as listening to the words that are said. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one, man. Uh, I jump to conclusions a lot. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, it, 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 it's, I think, um, it's gotten worse since I've had kids <laughs> because I can remember like my parents telling me like, I've been there, I've done that. And so they would always sort of feel like they, like they knew what I was about to say or what I was, what I was doing or, or, you know, thing, th things of that sort. And I find myself doing, doing the same with my kids. Like, you know, they're, they're, you know, I hear a ruckus in the room and I go in there and like, what happened? And in my head, I'm already like, I know what happened. I, I, I see this one crying. I see this one with their face, you know, their mouth wide open. I, I, I see one looking down and I'm like, I know exactly what happened. And then I'll have them tell me what happened. And then, at that point, I will sometimes decide whether or not, like, I think that's what actually happened. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's really funny that you brought up the, the 911 operator because sometimes I can I can be the 911 operator until it clicks. I'm like, oh, okay, you you were actually like saying this is actually like what you meant, and this is you know this is uh what, what you were trying to get, get, get across. So no, dude, that's a, that's a really good, good reminder of, you know, just not just listening. I mean, we, we could all do a lot more of that, yeah. you know, the, that whole active listening where you're not actually thinking about what you're going to say or what you're going to respond with, which, you know, by the way, is still easier said than done. Yep. You know, it, it, it's a, I think it's almost just kind of a natural a natural thing that people do when they're, when they're interacting and, and wanting to make sure that their voice is heard and their, and their opinions are considered and all that sort of stuff to be thinking about exactly what they're going to say and how they're going to say it 
while somebody else is talking, but um, to really, you know, just like you said, sit and, and listen and, and really hear for what's not being said. Yep. Listen to understand. Don't listen to respond. Yeah, man. All right, buddy. Uh, that's all I got. You got any, any last minute, uh, any things for Die Hard? Any other dimes? Um, anything else you want to bring up? No, 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 no other dimes. Um, you know, I the one thing that 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 I will say is with the Yippie Kaye, you know, line. Um, I personally hate the way they try to shoehorn it into every other movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I get why, um, but I think it would have had so much more staying power if it only showed in, in the first movie and they maybe had like a different, you know, corny sort of one liner in every movie after that. Uh, but you know, who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm just a person who, who thinks that, uh, you know, Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie, so. I, I love how I'm like, you got a, you got any last minute things you want to bring up? You're like, yeah, I got a, I really got a bone to pick with you know, <laughs> all of the other Die Hards. Why do they have to shoehorn that quote in there? <laughs> I, love I just it. want our listeners to know how I feel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I think that's all we got then, and uh, we're both in agreement that uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and we'll nope. see you all later. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs> see you guys. <laughs>